0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Ministry of Faithway Baptist Church. This is Pastor Barney Schwenke. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. If you have any questions about our church or about Jesus Christ, we'd love to answer those. Please reach out to us. You can find our contact information on our website. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3 in God's Word. You know, if you hang out with someone for a long enough time, you find out what they like in their life. And I don't know about you, but there's some things that I like. If you talk to me for a while, a cup of coffee, talk about the Lord, but we'll talk about Yankees and we'll talk about baseball. Um, I know I personally like looking at the, you know, Wall Street and investing and some different things there. And so I like talking about those things. And uh, there's a few things that are near and dear to my heart that'll come out and, uh, in the course of a conversation. And, you know, if you walk into, there's not a lot of bookstores left anymore, but if you walk into Barnes & Noble there in One Loudon, for example, um, you're going to find a lot of books in the finance section that uh, pur- 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 purportedly will tell you how to get rich, how to invest your money so you will get rich. Now, if you invest your money in those books, undoubtedly, you're going to make the author rich, okay, it's kind of what the point of the book is. But... You know, if you look at those books there, the first two questions I found that I have to ask myself before buying a book on finance is number one, is it reliable? Can I trust what the author is saying? And second, is it useful to me? Now the problem with most investment books is it comes with a uh, presupposition, a pre-understanding that you have a big wad of cash sitting around waiting to invest those books aren't good for me. Okay. It just doesn't work for me. And, and so I need a book that speaks to where I am at right now. And if you can show me a book or you can show me a method that is proven to be reliable and proven to be useful, I will buy it and I will read it. And so would you maybe, right? It all depends on where you at, you're at in your walk in your, in your life. Some of you are already retired and you're looking at, let's say investments, for example, you're not going to probably go out and invest in something that's risky or high risk, right? You're, you want to lock into a bond or a mutual fund or a CD or something may pay a low rate of return, but it's a guaranteed rate of return. And I'm not here to give you any financial advice this morning, but I'm just giving you that as an example, right? It may or may not be applicable to you, but the fact of the matter is, We all, I'm speaking, I think generically, but I think most of us here in this room, um, own a book that tells us how to invest our lives for maximum profit. And this book is not some book that's the latest and greatest craze for 2021. This book has been proven to be reliable day in and day out. In fact, no one has ever followed the life investment strategy found in this book and ever come away disappointed. And this book that I am talking about is useful to every human being right now where you are at, and yet strangely, this book will sit neglected in our homes while we, some of you still get the Washington Post every day, Zimmermans, but some of you will read your newspaper, right? Some of you will, you'll you'll read your news on the internet, you'll sit there and you'll watch television, But this book that I am talking about, we all own a copy. It sits neglected on our shelves while we consume every other form of news and information. You know what book I'm talking about, right? Obviously, it's the Bible. The Bible that I hold in my hands that you may have walked into this morning or it's on your smartphone, wherever it might be. The Bible has never let anyone down. Millions upon millions of people throughout the centuries have followed its life investment strategy and found it to be completely satisfying regardless of the trials and the tribulations that they have encountered. In fact, many of you here in this room probably own several different copies of the Bible. Maybe you even own it in different translations. My kids are taking Spanish, and they have a Spanish copy of the Bible, right? And so I know in my library at home, I got several different versions and translations and all of these different versions of the Bible that we have. But can i say this morning even though you may have a bible on your coffee table at your house you know what i'm talking about the coffee table bible the big thick one that's got a hard cover on it and you know what i'm talking about you may have that on the coffee table of your home the bible is not a good luck charm if you have a bible in a prominent place in your home it's not going to rub off on your family because like any book the Bible is only going to profit you if you read it, if you study it, and if you apply it to your lives. And so this morning, I want to convince you I guess my propositional statement, if you want to call it that this morning, is this: You need the Bible. Why? Because it's totally reliable and it's useful for every aspect of your life. Look at 2 Timothy chapter three and uh, verse number 13 this morning. Paul's writing this to Timothy, his young son in the faith. He says, "But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse." deceiving and being deceived. Now, if you're new to Faithway, we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy together now for the past 12 weeks or so. And so we've come to this portion of the scripture and Paul is writing here to Timothy and he's saying, young man, you're a pastor of a small church that is growing. I want to warn you about what's going to take place at that first Baptist church there in Ephesus. He says in verse 13, there will be evil men, that, that's pretty uh, easy word to understand. but what that word in the Greek means is there are people who are just deep down in the core, they are evil people. And it says evil people will grow. Um, the Greek word there is where we get our, our English word propagate from it. Um, it's like a, a smith. You've ever seen like a silversmith or a, a maybe a, a metalsmith of some kind. He'll take a piece of steel that's a rod, and he'll heat it up, and with his hammer, he'll start hitting that piece of steel, and he'll flatten it out. And he flattens it out and gets all the little things out of it, all the little grooves, and then he can take it and he can sharpen it and form it and make it into a sword or into a knife or whatever he's trying to make. That's the idea here. It's it's something that grows as you hammer it out. And so in our text here, the Bible says, in the last days, Timothy, evil men are going to grow. They'll become worse and worse. By the way, the word worse there, it's the only time in the New Testament you will find this word being used. And essentially what Paul is saying, Timothy, there are going to be imposters. There were going to be deceivers who will come into your midst. They will say a good talk. They will talk the right things on the surface, but they are hypocrites and they are only are imposters are out for what they can get. And Paul has been warning Timothy in this entire book time and time again about the dangers of heresy. Look back at chapter 3 and verse number 8 if you have your Bible. The Bible says there, Now Janus and Jambres, those were um, magicians who withstood Moses in the book of Exodus. So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. If you look at verse number 5 of chapter 3, These teachers have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. And so now we get to number verse number four verse number 13 and Paul warns Timothy. He says the directions that things are going to go in in the world is going to see evil men increasing and it's growing more and more rampant every day. Question for you. You don't have to answer out loud, but question for you. As you look at the world, do you see evil increasing more and more every day? I know I do. You know, maybe every once in a while you'll get a a Supreme Court victory, or maybe every once in a while you hear about a a state that passes a a law that, you know, supports biblical values, and you're like, yes, that's a victory. But the very next news story times 10, right, are all negative stories. It seems like we take one step forward, and then we take 10 steps backwards, and we never get any traction at all. And Paul's saying, Timothy, as you seek to serve the Lord... You need to remember there is a specific way that you deal with these people. We saw this in chapter 2, in verse number 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them a repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. In other words, when we run across people in our lives that are, um, that are deceived by Satan, that the Bible says that are evil, we are to love them and we are to pray for them and we are to do our best by God's grace to bring them out of that place. Keep, keeping on there in verse number 13, the Bible says there that they are deceiving and that they are being deceived. In other words, they are being led astray as they are leading other people into, into this same idea here. What Paul is teaching is is backed up in Scripture and other places. In Galatians chapter number six, verse number seven, you probably know this verse. It says, "Be not deceived; God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap." The principle of sowing and reaping—you get that idea, right? Um, A couple years ago, we ended up bought some land, built a house on it. You know the story, most of you. And we, it was all woods, so we knocked down almost two acres of trees, and then we've been trying to grow grass. You say, why would you do that? I don't know. But we're trying to grow grass, and, and Don, and you came out there, and Bill, and a few other guys were out there once, and we, Jim Abbott, helped us out. We had this big hydro cedar, a big tank and we were spraying all this green stuff all over the ground, and it was really great, and the grass grew up, but it was still thin, it was still sparse. And so over the past couple of years in the fall, what I've been doing is going out there and reseeding, overseeding, trying to get the grass to grow up, and there's this one stubborn spot in my yard, a couple of little stubborn, stubborn spots, but there's one spot in particular that grass just will not grow for some reason. And so last week, I went down to the local, sto- local uh, nursery there, and I got a trailer full of this leaf mulch, leaf compost, and it's just really rich dark black good stuff that you put over the ground and I got that and I spread the grass seed on it I put some starter fertilizer in it and then I kinda raked it over gently and then I set the sprinkler on it and I've been going out there every single day since Monday and I've been looking for the little grasses to grow right and I've been watching and this morning for the first time I went out there and I saw some tiny little thin pieces of green stuff sticking out of that it's just now starting to grow well, the principle in the Bible here is whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. And Timothy, there may be people in the church who are leading it astray and they may have another agenda and they're going a certain direction, but they will reap what they sow. Payday may not be today, but payday will be someday. You can mark it down. That's a Bible principle. In 1 John chapter 1, verse number 8, the Bible says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so there are people that go around the world saying that they are perfect and saying that they're good and saying, if you follow me in my system of religion, you can be right with God. But you cannot ignore the fact that we are all sinners. You cannot ignore the fact that there are people out there that say, look, you follow me and you'll be perfect. No, the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. And so if you see someone that is deceiving others, Your job as a Christian is to go to them. Galatians chapter 6 tells us that we got to go to that person with a spirit of meekness and, and try to restore that person, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Sometimes, though, we look at other people and we say, those people are being deceived. And yet we don't want to acknowledge the problem in our life that possibly we are living under deception. And so, yes, we need to have compassion on people who are deceived, Because we know what it's like. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you remember what it was like when you were deceived by the world. Maybe you were deceived by the lie of alcohol, or you were deceived by the lie of the philosophies of this world, and you bought into it, and you consumed those things, and you found out at the very end that there was absolutely nothing that those things could give you, and you gave your life to Christ, and you found Him to be the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. But Paul says to Timothy, when you find someone that's being deceived, make sure you deal with them gently. Look at verse number 14. Our text here says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of, them, of whom thou hast learned them. The word continue there means to abide. It means to stay put. Now, if you know your Bibles, there's a famous chapter in John that talks about abiding. John 15. John 15, 7, Jesus said, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Throughout my life, I've, I've known John 15, and I've thought, okay, my goal is to abide in Christ. And I've, I think I've kind of overcomplicated that idea of abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide in him? You know, for some years, I used to think that there was a, this magical, mystical thing about abiding in Christ that, that makes me a successful Christian. Do you know what that word abide means? It means to continue. It's the same word that we find there in 2 Tim- Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 14. It's continuing in the things that you have learned. Well, where did Timothy learn those things about God from? He learned it from the Apostle Paul. Verse number 15 of our text says here, And that from a child, First Timothy, 2 th- Timothy 3.15, That from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. The word holy there means set apart. It means sacred. Scriptures here refers to the Old Testament. So Paul says, Timothy, from a young child, you have been taught the Bible. From a child, the word child there is a newborn infant. It's the idea of a little baby that has just come home from the hospital. And mom and dad, from the time that that baby is born, are teaching the child the truths of the word of God. Dad and mom, there's a lesson for us here today. If you have children, whether they're little or they're big and they're growing out of your house, your job is to teach them the Word of God. Timothy had been taught the Bible from an early age. When I was a little boy, before I even knew Christ as my Savior, when I, I don't even remember this, but the first verse that I learned as a boy was John 17, 17. You know what that verse says? Thy Word is truth. But before I even could say, Thy Word is truth, my parents taught me two words, Bible true. And so as a little two-year-old who could barely say mom, could barely say dada, I learned John 17, 17, Bible, true. And we would say it every single night before we would pray for our dinner. We would go around the table and we would say our verses together. You know the first verse that I taught my children when they could barely speak? John 17, 17, Bible, true. Why do I teach my children Bible verses? Why do I teach them that the Bible is true? Because I want to set that foundation very early on that the Bible is the source of authority, the only source of authority in their life. And Luke tells us here that Timothy's father, we we know in the book of Acts that Timothy's father was Greek. Now, we do not believe from historical records that Timothy's father was a Christian. He was most likely just either an agnostic believing in the philosophy of the age we don't know what his belief system was but we do not think he was a Christian at least at the time this bi- the bible was written but Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother they were solid believers and they were taught of the lord first we saw that in second timothy chapter 1 verse number 5 Lois and Eunice were their names and they were taught the bible they taught Timothy the Bible. And they taught him the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. You know, the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, the 39 books in the Old Testament, Timothy learned those verses as a little child. In fact, in the Old Testament, remember Josh read that verse as we started our time together about the Lord from, from Hannah's prayer there in 2 Samuel chapter number two? Well, there was a guy by the name of Elkanah and his wife Hannah. They couldn't have a chi- children. Hannah really desperately wanted to have a child. And so she prayed and prayed and prayed. You know the story. And finally, the Lord blessed their marriage and Samuel, a little baby boy, was born. And Hannah took that little baby and she dedicated him to, to God. And after Samuel was weaned, after, uh, he, we don't know exactly what age, but between the ages of 5 and 12 years old, somewhere around that age, frame, age time, they left Samuel at the tabernacle to learn and to be taught to serve the Lord at the feet of Eli the priest. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, that's the priest. Now get this, the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. In other words, God hadn't spoken to the people of Israel in a long, long time. There wasn't the written Bible that we have in our hands today. The only way that they would hear from God is through the prophet. And then... Three verses later, in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 4, the Lord called unto Samuel, and he answered and said, Here am I. So you have this picture of a dad and mom who couldn't conceive, and finally God gave them a little boy. Hannah dedicated this child and said, God, this baby is yours. Whatever you want to do with him, he's yours to do it. He goes and he starts to serve the Lord. And then as a young boy, the Lord hadn't spoken to the nation of Israel in a long time. But Samuel learned to to be in tune with the words of God. And when God spoke, Samuel answered and said, Here am I. it was the beginning of of an amazing lifetime of ministry for Samuel. And God will use children who are surrendered to him. And so dad and mom, whether it's your kids, grandma and grandpa, maybe you have grandkids, maybe you help out in children's ministry out there, maybe you volunteer in the nursery and you teach children, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Maybe it's, you name it, you fill in the blank, but invest in our children because it's very important to the heart of God that kids are taught about the Lord. Paul learned, said Timothy, you've learned as a little child about God. I want to look at verse number 15. He says, you've learned the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Are able. See that those two words there are able. Um, that's probably one of my. It's a compound verb there. It's one two words in the English, one word in the Greek. It's probably one of my favorite Greek words. It's the word dunamis, right? It's the gr- the verb form of dunamos. What does that mean? Dynamite. That's where we get our English word dynamite from. And so Timothy, the Scriptures are the dynamite to make you wise unto salvation. Paul's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. You say, how can someone get saved? out of the old testament. Great question. I want you to notice Psalm 14 verse number 3. The Bible says there are all gone aside, they're all together become filthy, there is none that doeth good, no not one. Kind of sounds like Romans 3:23, doesn't it? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say is there a way for someone in the old testament to get saved? Yes. How does that happen? recognizing the Messiah would take away their sins. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number five, the Bible says, but he, the Messiah, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we were healed. You see, way back hundreds of years before Jesus was born, there was a prophecy made by God that the Messiah would die for the sins of the world. And then in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number six, the Bible tells us that Abraham Believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. You see, back in God, back in the Old Testament, before the death of Christ on the cross, before the blood that was shed, the people of God would believe by faith that one day the Messiah would come to die for the sins of the world. The just, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 4 says, the just shall live by his faith. And now, Timothy. You learned the Scriptures as a little boy. I want to give you, Timothy, the secret ingredient to living a life pleasing to God and to fight heresy in the church. You know want to know what it is? Verse number 16 of your text. Look what it says. Timothy, here's your tool. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, I want to keep this verse up there on the screen for a minute because I want to break this down for you. This is very important that as a Bible-believing Christian, you understand what I'm about to say. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word all there simply means everything, right? All means all. Every, the whole, the totality. Paul does not say some Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I told you recently about a time in my, in my life a few years ago. I sat on a, an Amtrak train from Baltimore all the way up to Connecticut. Actually, I'm sorry, New York City. And I sat next to the head of Yale Divinity School. And the, basically, as I was talking to the head of Yale Divinity School, some guy that had three earned doctorates in theology, and you know, he just knew so much Greek and Hebrew and even the Aramaic, he could read it all. He was so wise in his biblical understanding. His basic problem with the Bible is he did not believe that All Scripture was given by inspiration of God. A phrase that you're going to hear liberal theologians use is, the Bible contains the Word of God. Now, on the surface, you say, that sounds good. The Bible contains the Word of God. But what they are saying is, not all of the Bible is the Word of God. What does Paul say? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, if I am going to go around claiming that some things are inspired, then I face a problem, don't I? Because if some things are inspired, I'm going to have to tell you what isn't inspired. And then I find myself at the mercy of these so-called scholars, right? This verse is not, this verse is, no. All Scripture, the word Scripture there is a writing. It's the Old Testament. Paul had in mind when he was writing this. But at the same time that Paul was writing this letter to Timothy in history, right, 8065, the same time that Paul is writing this very letter, I want you to notice what Peter, another one of the apostles, said about the writing of Paul. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter wrote this, Even as our beloved Paul, all right, the author of 2 Timothy, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, verse 16, as also in all his epistles, all of his writings, Speaking in them these things, which are some things hard to be understood. Peter's saying, yeah, Paul is a theologian and I'm a fisherman. (laughs) Some of the things that Paul wrote, I'm having a struggle to understand. And you probably understand that if you read the book of Romans. You scratch your head sometimes. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also, note what it says, the other scriptures. What does Peter say about Paul's writings? They are the word of God. Now, it wouldn't be long before the church realized that the writings, what we call the New Testament, were scripture. Some would say that it did, that, well, it happened at the Council of Nicaea in 80, 30, 325, if you're a history of, a student of church history, it did, but that's just when it became official. Within a few short years of Paul's writing, the early church fathers recognized the New Testament's writings as being inspired and authoritative and given by inspiration of God. That phrase there, Back in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, that phrase there, inspiration of God, what that means is God breathed. It's a a compound word which means God breathed. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1, I know we're getting a little technical this morning, but I want you to see what Peter said about this. It says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words... The Holy Spirit worked through the individual writers, Paul, Peter, Luke, Matthew, Mark, John. He worked through those individual writers and he moved in such a way that the message that he wanted was transmitted without error. Now, there are some people, and I don't think there's anyone in our church that would believe this per se, but there are some people within our Christian communities that would say, well, God breathed again in 1611, that we have a, they would say, double inspiration. That's not true. The the Bible was inspired in the original autographs. God, God does not inspire a translation, a translation from the original, all right? So we understand that we're on the same page. And we don't have any of the, under, the original manuscripts of Paul's handwriting. I wish we did. It would be really cool to be able to go to the Bible Museum there in Washington, D.C. By the way, if you haven't been there, you need to make a trek there sometime. Go to the Bible Museum, and they have up there, this is the original letter that Paul wrote of first or second Timothy. That would be really cool to see. Now, all we have left are copies of copies. And there are some small discrepancies between them but they're just simply attributed to copyist error. There's no major doctrinal switches. There's no major doctrinal changes. And we believe that we are as close to the original as we can, that, that the Bible that we hold in our hands is without error. How can I know that God is behind this book? Someone out there says, well, I'm not saying in our church, but someone in the world out there that's not a part of a, a Christian community, that's not saved, might say, how do we know that the Bible isn't written by just a bunch of Christian crazy fanatics? Well, the answer to that is, there's a lot of answers I could give that person, but one of the major answers to that question is the Bible, the scripture, is set apart from any other religious text by the fulfillment of prophecy. No other religious book document contains the size and the scope of the prophecies of the Bible. You have the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Did you realize in the Old Testament there are more than 300 prophecies that foretold the coming of the Messiah, I'm going to give you four this morning and I could give you a whole lot more. But for example, in the book of Micah chapter five in verse number two, the Bible tells us that the birthplace of the Messiah would be a little town called Bethlehem Ephrathah. For out of thee, Bethlehem Ephrathah, shall he come, that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting to everlasting. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophets foretold that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Another example of a prophecy that was fulfilled in the Old Testament by Jesus. Psalm 41, verse number 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Who is that? Judas Iscariot. You know the story how Judas betrayed Jesus. Another one, Psalm 22. The entire psalm is is a... prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus. Another one, Zechariah 9, verse number 9. It, It talks about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. But ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to see this morning is simply this. The Bible is the Word of God. I'm going to give you some examples of not just the Messiah, but I want to give you four examples here, our next slide, that talk about how we can trust the Bible. Abraham's descendants were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. That is a documented fact. You can go to Egypt today, and you can. there are, there are historical artifacts that have been uncovered by archaeologists that prove that there were Hebrews that used to live in the land of Egypt. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 15, before Abraham had children, that one day God said, Abraham, your children are going to be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then you have the next one, Ezekiel chapter 26 and verse number 4. There was a city in the ancient times of Tyre. Tyre was the city that could not be destroyed. It was a beautiful city. It's like the city of Babylon. You've heard the ancient stories of the ancient city of Babylon. Well, before Babylon was, there was Tyre. Everybody during the time of Ezekiel knew that Tyre was an amazing, impenetrable city that could never be destroyed. But God said it could be destroyed, and it was by the Babylonians many centuries later. In Jeremiah 25, verse number 11, God prophesied that the people of Israel would be taken into captivity because of their sin what did God say they'd be gone what happened they were removed into Babylon like God said and then this is a great I love how the Bible is so precise in Jeremiah chapter 25 verse number 11 the Bible gives us the name of the Persian king who would allow the Jews to return from captivity his name is Cyrus and Cyrus was uh, the, and, and we know the name of Cyrus 300 years before the actually the event actually took place I could give you this morning illustration after illustration about how we know the Bible is the Word of God. And ladies and gentlemen, the reason why these fulfilled prophecies prove that the Bible is the Word of God is because only God knows the future. Now, I could write a book, you know, and I could, in that book, I could say, let's just pull the name out of the hat. I could say, George Johnson is going to be the president in 2120. I don't even know that's an election year, but let's just say it is, okay? I could say that he's going to be the president in 2120, and I could write that, and you could put it in a time capsule, and my grandchildren in 2120 could open that time capsule, and they could say, oh, Barney Schwenke made a prediction. Okay, maybe some random dude named George Johnson, or whatever his name was, became the president in 2020, 2120. But if I were to talk about his birthplace, if I were to talk about all of the things that would happen leading up to his presidency... You would say, well, you have to have some sort of insider knowledge about events that are going to take place in the future before they happen. And that is exactly why we know the Bible is the word of God. Because only one person knows eternity past and eternity future and all the events in the middle. That's God himself. The Bible is God breathed, written by God. So we go back to verse number 16. The Bible says that all Scripture, I know our time this morning is almost gone, it says all Scripture is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is the truth of God's Word. It's the law of God. Secondly, the Bible says that all Scripture is given, uh, the Bible teaches doctrine, but it also brings, number two, conviction of sin. It brings conviction of sin. Do you like to be told you're wrong? I know I don't, right? Someone calls me out for something in my life. I don't like to be told I'm wrong, but that's what the Bible does. The Bible brings it, reveals sin in our life. Number three in verse number 16, all scripture is given by inspiration to God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. It's it's the uh, word there, correction in the Greek means to stand up straight. So you have a person that is hunched over, they're crippled, and you bring them back to life. The the word is used by the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts when there was a lame man on the way, and Paul told him, stand up, and he healed them, and this crooked man's back was made straight again. And so that's that, that word there that the Bible is talking about there in Acts chapter 14. And finally, I want you to see this morning, the Bible is profitable for instruction in righteousness. Now, as we close, I want you to see what this word there, righteousness, means in the Greek because it's very important you understand. The word righteous means the condition, notice the last part of it, the condition acceptable to God. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say this morning, you and I were born into this world in a condition that was not acceptable to God. You were born into this world as a sinner. A sinner cannot enter into the presence of heaven. Romans 3.23 says, we've fallen short of the glory of God. If you want to be able to go to the glory of God one day in heaven, you have to be made righteous. You have to be made acceptable before God. And so the good news is Jesus loves you even though you were a sinner. And he provided a way for you to be made acceptable unto God and that is what he did through his son on the cross of Calvary. It was at the cross, as Joseph was saying earlier today, where the blood of Jesus Christ was spilled out, where the blood ran red. And because of the gift of God on the cross, verse number 17 says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God says, I died on the cross to save you from your sin, and I died on the cross to give you the instruction that you need to live a life that is pleasing to God. I love what Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10 says. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk with Him. How does God want us as Christians to, to behave. How does God want us as Christians as we go into the world to act? What does that look like? Well, God equips us for the job that he has through this book. Ladies and gentlemen, I've said this time and time again. You know probably where I'm going with this. God's will for your life is a daily walk with him. How do you walk with God? You open the Bible and you see what God's word says. This is God's love letter to you. And shame on you and shame on me if we allow God's love letter to us to sit on the coffee table, we pick it up when it's time to come to church on Sunday morning and we dust off the cover and we carry it under our arms and we pretend like we're walking with God, but throughout the week we neglect the riches and the truths of God's love letter to us. May we be like John Wesley. I want you to see what John Wesley wrote in one of his commentaries. He said this, Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God I have it. Here is the knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book." There's a lot of books out there at Barnes and Noble about how to invest. Yeah, maybe you follow the advice and you may retire one day and have money in the bank. Maybe you follow the advice of some people and the stock goes from $35 to $5. You never know, right? But you have their investment. You have a strategy for investing here on this earth. Can I just tell you this morning, there's a whole lot better thing to be investing in, not your retirement, investing in eternity. Laying up treasures in heaven where rust will not corrupt and where thieves can't steal it and where stock market crashes will not happen. You invest in eternity and the instructions you need to invest in eternity are found in the word of God question for you this morning. Is the Bible a constant part of your daily life? You need the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is totally reliable and useful for every aspect of your life. Is the Bible a part of your life today? Let's pray. Father, we consider your truths here today and we see that all scripture is given by inspiration of you. We we believe that the Bible is indeed the word of God. Every word of it. And yet, Lord, even though we are willing to go to the hill and die on that fact, so many of us don't take the time to read it, to know you. I pray this morning, Lord, that if your Holy Spirit has convicted us about the need to be in your word on a daily, regular basis, that you would help us to be faithful, to make a commitment today to return to your word. And Father, maybe there's someone here today who says, you know, I realize I was born into an unacceptable condition before God. I'm not righteous. I need to be made righteous. I pray that right now, Lord, that they would call upon you and ask you to save them. That they would ask the blood of Jesus Christ to cover their sins so that way they can be made acceptable in the sight of God and to begin to live a life pleasing to you. Lord, you've spoken to my heart this week as I've prepared for this message. And I know this morning the Holy Spirit of God is moving here, and I I don't know how you have, but Lord, I pray today that we would not resist your Holy Spirit's working in our lives. Faithway family, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, as Ellen begins to play on the piano, would you take a moment in the quietness here today to talk to God? If it's been a while since you've been in the Word, return to the love letter that God has for you. If you're not saved this morning, Right now, would you call on the Lord and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to make you acceptable in His sight? As Ellen plays, would you just take a few moments and talk to the Lord? Lord, may we be like John Wesley, And pray from the depths of our heart, oh, give me that book. At any price, Lord, whatever it takes for us to read the word, may we not neglect your love letter to us. May we be people of the book this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast from Faithway Baptist Church today. Our prayer is as God's word goes forth, it will speak to your heart and to the lives of people all around the world. If God has used this message in your life today, please feel free to reach out to us and we'd love to hear from you. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with God, please let us know.